time, our third graders will recite for us the 23rd Psalm, which they have been learning, and as well, they will be receiving Bibles. So invite them along with teachers Kathy and Roger forward. Happy Sunday, everybody. Happy Sunday. And the 11th commandment says, be good to your Sunday school teachers, too, by the way. We kind of teach that one, too. So the third grade is very excited to be with you today. We practiced very hard over the past few weeks preparing Psalm 23 and, uh, and the relationship that King David had with, uh, with God. He wrote this as a devotional. We learned about King David's life, his life as a shepherd, and how he connected with God and really looked for his protection in his life um, you know, through that psalm. So this is really an exciting time. We learned the history, and, uh, and we learned how to be close to God and the protection God gives us. So with that, we'd like to show you what we've been practicing for the past couple of weeks. Ready? The Lord is my shepherd. He gives me everything I need. He lets me lie At this time, I'd like to present the Bibles to the third grade students. Samantha Grace Ducey, Giovanni Carnamola, Grace Harper Hemesath, Connor J. Reese, Madison G. Reese, Ryan G. Reese, and Eliana Rose White. Thank you, third graders. You did a great job, and congratulations. And again, thanks to our uh, third grade Sunday school teachers, Roger. I missed, left out Robert, Robert, and Kathy for their leadership. A short six weeks ago, we celebrated Epiphany, the manifestation of God in Jesus Christ to the nation symbolized in the visit of the Magi from the East who come to worship the Christ child. Today, on the cusp of our entrance into the holy season of Lent, the Sunday of the Transfiguration provides an even more dramatic manifestation of God's glory, Jesus transfigured on the mountaintop. This text this morning provides us the opportunity to consider the contrast between the holy and the ordinary, the common and the un uncommon, the divine and the human. On the mountaintop, Peter, James, and John are given a glimpse of the holy, the divine, the sacred, as Jesus is transfigured. And they're not sure how to handle it. They don't want it to end. And when it seems Moses and Elijah are leaving, Peter suggests they build three dwellings or tents. 
Yet after being enveloped in the cloud of God's glory, Jesus leads them back down the mountain. The holy moment is gone. They are back in the real world. So the transfiguration gospel lesson this morning is taken from Luke, the ninth chapter, verses 28 through 36. I invite you to listen for the word of God. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, meaning Jesus, Peter says to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and in those days told no one any of the things they had seen. Friends, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord shall stand forever. Let us pray. Oh God, thank you for your grace, your love. As we reflect upon this passage, silence our minds that we might be open to your spirit. Amen. David McCulloch, in his book, Mornings on Horseback, tells this story about young Teddy Roosevelt. Mitty, Teddy's mother, had found he was so afraid of the Madison Square Church that he refused to set foot inside if he was alone. He was terrified, she discovered, of something called the zeal. It was crouched in the dark corners of the church ready to jump at him. When she asked what a zeal might be, he said he was not sure, but thought that it was probably a large animal like an alligator or a dragon just waiting to pounce on him. He had heard the minister read about it from the Bible. Well, using a concordance, Mitty read him those passages containing the word zeal until suddenly very excited, young Teddy told her to stop. And the line he told her, at which to stop was the, from the book of John, chapter 2, verses 17, where it is written, And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thy house hath eaten me up. <laughs> well, whereas we do not want our children to fear God or the church in the way that Teddy Roosevelt did, or apparently did, still there is the, the human need, the necessity even, to be aware that when we are in the presence of God, we are standing on holy ground. Anybody remember the time when you dressed up to go to church? I remember as a kid, I had three sets of clothes. I had my go-to-school clothes, I had my play clothes, and I had my Sunday clothes. And my, I hated those Sunday clothes. They were uncomfortable. 
but we were always expected to wear our Sunday clothes, our Sunday best, to Sunday school and church. I chafed at it, but that was what we did, and, and that practice arose, at least in part, from our understanding that being in the presence of God was something special, holy, sacred, and our attire should reflect that reality. Of course, times have changed when it comes to church attire, but nevertheless, an appropriate understanding of the nature of God evokes awe and reverence. When we are in God's presence, when we are in the sanctuary, when we are gathered around the table, we are standing on hallowed ground. If we only see God as a benevolent, grandfatherly type, type figure, we are misunderstanding the nature of God. God is holy, that, that's W-H-O-L-L-Y. God is holy other, unlike us. That's why saints and sinners alike have used words as omnipotent, omniscient, immortal, invisible, sovereign, mysterious, great, and glorious in describing the one we worship. God is holy other, we are gathered in the presence of the Holy One, that's H-O-L-Y, who is not to be trifled with. Now, on the other hand, there is also the need to feel the closeness of God, to feel like we have a friend in Jesus. There's a story about a kindergarten teacher who asked a boy what he was drawing. Without pausing to look up, he said, a picture of God. The teacher smiled and responded, but, but nobody knows what God looks like. Well, the boy carefully put down his cray and looked her squarely in the eye and declared, after I'm finished here, they will. As we have the need to image God in the heavenly realm with the angels and the archangels and the seraphim and the cherubim, so also we need to know what God looks like, so to speak. We need our God to be one we can talk to and laugh with and cry with. We need to know that God feels our pain, our disappointment, as well as celebrating our joys and fulfillments. We need to feel the closeness of God in the common, ordinary lives that we live. We need the reassurance that this holy God understands our unholy moments. We see this contrast played out in worship patterns in Christian traditions. Contrast the holiness and, and, and mystery of an orthodox experience of worship with the informal, easy familiarity of many contemporary American experience of, experiences of worship. In reality, we need both to experience God as other, to experience God as bosom buddy. Well, how does this contrast play out in our daily lives? Well, perhaps thinking about it this way is helpful. Christians often talk about bringing people to Christ or inviting people to church. You've perhaps been a part of a congregation where they have an invite a friend to church Sunday or something like that, and, and, and it sounds so simple, doesn't it? But what about those people who don't want to come to Christ? What about those people who think religion in general, much less Christianity, is more trouble than it's worth? Well, Carol Mead, writing in Holy Ordinary, suggests that maybe we're looking at it the wrong way. The answer, perhaps, 
rather than bringing them to Christ, is to bring Christ to them by making the ordinary tasks and relationships of our lives holy. By putting each decision we make in our jobs, our families, our relationships, our recreation, when we do that in the hands of God, put those decisions in the hands of God, God enters our lives every day and in the everyday. In that way, each of us can become a vessel to bear the presence of God to our fractured and wounded world. Each task in an ordinary life or an ordinary day can become a chalice to carry the presence of God to someone who needs God. Mead reminds us that placed in the hands of God, even the most mundane moments become consecrated. The most ordinary things become holy. The holy, that's W-H-O-L-L-Y, the holy other becomes familiar. And the familiar becomes holy other. When we pause to say a blessing over a meal at the smell of freshly cut grass, at the snow gently falling, at the touch or embrace of a friend. We draw attention to life's ordinary moments, elevate them, imbue them with meaning. And believe me, when you face a life-threatening illness, even the little things, things which you often take for granted, glow with the effervescence of the divine. Well, this morning in the Lord's Supper, we have this mysterious combination of both. As Jesus invited Peter, James, and John to the top of the mountain to behold his glory, so today Jesus invites those who trust him, who call on his name, to share in this, this mysterious meal, a meal common in its elements. All we have here is bread and juice, grape juice, but holy in its symbolic and memorial nature. So friends, may this bread and juice, common in their everyday use, be to us the holy body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And may we become a chalice to carry the presence of God into a hurting world, thus making our sacrifice of praise pleasing in the presence of our holy and holy other God. Amen.